Internet. This is Mike Gillis. This is Casey Doran. And I am tremendously proud of this panel episode of Radio vs. the Martians. This month, we're covering the Man of Steel, Superman. I think this turned out to be a great conversation. I hope you enjoy it as much as we do. Let's go. Out of the briny depths of the internet comes a comic book podcast so powerful it cannot be contained by a single continent. Mike and Paul save the universe. I'm Mike Gillis. And I'm Paul Root. If you're an unsatisfied comics fan, we want to help you find better comics. And if you've never picked up a comic before in your life, we want to help you find what could be your new favorite thing. On Mike and Paul Save the Universe, we love the bejesus out of comics, and so should you. Find us online at MikeAndPaul.com. 1937. To keep the increasingly threatening Third Reich from achieving a supernatural doomsday weapon, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt secretly turns to soldier of fortune, adventurer, and World War I hero, Ace Kilroy. Ace Kilroy is a serialized webcomic that launched on Halloween night 2011. The co-creation of writer Rob Kelly and artist Dan O'Connor. It was nominated for a 2012 Eagle Award for Favorite Webcomic, and Kelly won a 2012 Philadelphia Geek Award for Comic Book Writer of the Year. Ace Kilroy features adventure, horror, mystery, political intrigue, and romance. Join the fight against evil. Visit acekilroy.com. If you live on the planet Earth, then I can guarantee you've heard of Superman. Aside from perhaps Mickey Mouse, the Man of Steel is probably the most recognizable fictional character ever. He starred in comic books, television shows, radio serials, animated cartoons, feature films, and even a Broadway musical. I can't easily pinpoint the first time I encountered Superman, but I'm almost certain it was before I even knew how to read. I loved the hell out of the Superpowers line of action figures and the Super Friends cartoon when I was very young, and Superman was always there in his bright blue and red costume with a big S on his chest and a bright red cape. Even as a little kid, I could tell he wasn't just a superhero. He was THE superhero. All of the rest of the characters and worlds and stories that I grew up loving all trace their lineage back to a fictional comic book character created in 1938 by Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster as an allegory to deal with all the unfairness they saw growing up in the Great Depression, from muggers and slumlords to crooked politicians. There are so many powerful, nasty, selfish people in the world. People who think that being bigger or stronger or richer or more powerful gives them ownership or right over you. People who should rightfully be called bullies. And if you know me, you know that to me, there's not a worse label you can put on someone. Superman is the anti-bully. He's the biggest and strongest guy in the world, but he's also kind, gentle, and protective. He doesn't just beat up bad guys, but seeks out people in danger and wants them to feel safe. He sees power not as a means of kicking others around or making a profit, but as a responsibility to protect people who can't protect themselves. Superman has come to be more than just a good guy, he's the good guy. Like any geek, I've built up a crusty layer of jaded cynicism over the years, but there's something about Superman that can just break through all of that bullshit to the happy, warm time when I was six years old throwing on an old towel around my shoulders and pretending to fly. In fact, if I'm ever in a really shitty mood, I can always pop on a DVD of Christopher Reeve and Superman the movie and I always feel better. Given that this is the 75th anniversary of the character, it's only appropriate that today we are talking about Superman. Let's get to our panel. 
Joining us for a second time is Paul Rue, noted comic book aficionado and my tag team partner on the Mike and Paul Save the Universe podcast. Good to have you back, Paul. Always love to get an opportunity to spray my opinions forth out across the internet. And returning to our panel, host and producer of the Ask an Atheist radio show, our good friend Sam Mulvey. Always looking for new opportunities to be a fish out of water. How you doing? And finally, as always, the speedy to my green arrow, Casey Doran. Oh, thanks for having me here, Mike. This is grand occasion. So, Paul, I want to open with you. You love the shit out of superheroes. So what's so great about the Man of Steel? Well, the thing with Superman, what you said before, is the fact that he's the superhero. When you think superhero, he's the guy you think of because he really kind of kicked the whole thing off. A lot of people get into that argument of, you know, is Popeye a superhero? Is Hercules a superhero? Is Gilgamesh a superhero? But before Superman, there wasn't a thing. You know, you can apply that label afterwards to Beowulf. But before Superman, that wasn't a label that you could apply to anyone. He was the original guy. The thing I I love about Superman, you, you touched on it before, is the fact that he is. He's the biggest and the toughest and the strongest and the most powerful. But he's also the most gentle, he's the most compassionate, he's the most caring, he's the most humble. It's really easy to get caught up in the fact of being tough and strong and seeing those as the virtues that you should be looking for. But where Superman really shines is that his virtues are all about his gentleness, his kindness and his goodness. That's an important part of what makes the character up. Unfortunately, just a lot of people seem to miss that. They're cool with the whole, you know, picking up a truck or flying around the earth backwards or flying faster than the speed of light, catching airplanes, shooting lasers out of his eyes. But they can't quite get their head around the fact that he's also like a genuinely nice person. And I think that's his greatest superpower. Casey, you're sort of on the outside of this a little bit. I mean, but you grew up on not a cave. So, I mean, you've seen (laughs) Superman everywhere. How do you see him from where you stand? Yeah, I mean, uh, the earliest memories have to be seeing either the first or, for whatever reason, the third Superman with Richard Pryor and uh, the tar kryptonite. (laughs) I think they played that one more on reruns than any of the other Supermans that were there. No, I was certainly aware of him. My dad was uh, was a huge comic book fan. When he was recuperating from a rare bone disease, he bought the first few years of the Marvel Comics run. So I was always more familiar with Spider-Man and the X-Men and the Fantastic Four growing up as sort of comic book heroes. But certainly Superman was there. I'm a little outside of this, but Superman for me is the quintessential superhero. It's as if he's the Shakespeare to the English language, what he is to comic books. He's the hero that comes before every other hero. And every other hero that's genuinely a good hero apes something about Superman. So in that way, he's the most generic. And that would be my biggest complaint, I would suppose. The big part of the character is that he is the... What is Lucy? Lucy, the uh, pre-human, the Mm proto-human. Oh, the Australopithecus. Australopithecus afarensis. Yeah. Yeah, that he is the place from which all other future things sprang. He is the common mother to all of this, that everything superhero came from him. And again, I guess the question of the goodness, the kindness and stuff. But I'd also add to that, Paul, his restraint. That again, Superman is a guy who could rule the world if he wanted to, but he chooses not to. Not just that he chooses not to, he doesn't want to. And I think that somebody who is that powerful not being a bully, to me, is something that's deeply affecting. This is a character who very easily could... In most people's power fantasies, you're like, I think of all the things I would do with this power to hurt people. And I don't think Superman thinks that way. 
that he's someone who's like, what can I do to help people? That he sees a need for himself, even if a costume baddie doesn't show up. I'm still going to catch planes and help people out of the sky if their plane is crashing. I'm still going to do what I can to protect people from like a car accident either. Again, morality isn't just what you don't do, but what you don't even want to do. And I think mm. Superman being that, that with that amount of power, that the options open to you are limitless, including subjugating yep. the entire planet, that this isn't something he even thinks of. But Sam, you're not a superhero yep. guy. No. You're I'm not somebody who is a comic book guy. You kind of come at this from the cultural standpoint that this occasionally treads into your territory every so often, but in really a peripheral way. Um, so how do you see Superman and his effect on culture and his context? Historically, for me, Superman is Christopher Reeve. My introduction to Superman was the first Superman movie with him in it. He was always Superman as far as I was concerned. But I sort of mm. see Superman as America's King Arthur or our version of Romulus and Remus. Is, is I see Superman as part of the idea of American mythology. And I think the way Superman is treated in the media, it can actually give sort of a good idea of what the zeitgeist of American thinking is at the time, up to and including the 2013 film. And I'm really glad Paul's with us because I'm I'm incredibly from where I'm from. Um, <laughs> so that external perspective will be really interesting to me. One of the things that hmm. I do like about Superman when he's carried as a, as a moral person is to me, he does represent the same sort of morality I came from. He's from Kansas, I'm from Illinois, mm. Mm. you know, basically the same place. And when he talks about living in Kansas, you know, I spent more time in the suburbs than I did in, the, in rural areas. But still, the, the Midwest is yep. the Midwest. That is, to me, quintessentially American, that part of him. It really is an expression of sort of the way America thinks about itself. Well, he is the mm. American immigrant story. Yeah. He is a guy from out of town who comes to represent the country that he's adopted. That in this case, it goes even further than I'm from the old country. He's from the old planet. He's an alien. Mm. Right. It's interesting that a character who is an alien, alien isn't the thing a lot of people think about him. A lot of people if who maybe have only seen a few of the movies don't see of him as oh. an alien invader the same way you'd say, see Mr. Spock, who's undeniably an alien. Right. His mode yeah. of behavior and his upbringing is Vulcan, where Superman's from Krypton as a baby, but his upbringing is, as you say, from Kansas. Right. That mm. ethnically, he is human. But that always wasn't the case, Mike, because, uh, or at least in different permutations of the story. So I was watching the Dave Fleischman color animated versions of Superman from the early 40s. Yeah. And they do a brief intro for those little serial spots that would have played before a movie. And they actually say, oh, he's, he's from Krypton. It exploded. His capsule crashed and he got taken to an orphanage. There was a place where Smallville and Kansas and Farm Boy was not a piece of Superman mythology. There was always the, the element from the early days, from his first appearance, that he was raised by Jonathan and Martha Kent. However, there's like this sort of weird quibbles with the timeline. In some, they find the baby, they take him to an orphanage and then come back and, and adopt him. I think there's one version where there's this massive blizzard. So they get snowed in for ages and they just sort of go, well, it's the damnedest thing. While we were in the blizzard, you know, Martha gave birth. <laughs> so I, I was learning that i was trying to explain to my wife 
we were talking this out, why this character would be compelling to children. I mean, and it's a symbology oh. that is understood it by all ages, but for pre-literate children especially. And one of the things was, of course, it's a power fantasy. Yep. It's about the idea about being able to stand up to the people, the bullies, the people who will do harm yep. because they're bad. But there's a second thing about having a second family. I can imagine mm. if you were a small kid and if, let's just say you were a foster kid or if you were in an orphanage or let's just say your, your mother remarried or something that you have this example of this mm. beautiful story about a kid who's who yeah you've got my my earth parents my parents as they are and they they I love them for what they are but mm. wouldn't it be awesome the imagination if i know who my real parents were and they're these amazing people and they have one act of love and that act of love was to save me so they could keep their dream alive that could be incredibly compelling to someone who was an orphan or who otherwise in that situation and that's beautiful i think well it's a classic trope King Arthur. Yeah. He was, he was an orphan who found out that his, his father yeah. was Unther Pendragon. And the same thing with Harry Potter most recently. Right. That Harry Potter was someone who grew up in an adopted family and learned that his parents were actually incredible and wonderful and magical. And I think there's always that thing with an orphan. And I've heard this from people who were adopted that you kind of have these unusual fantasies about who your parents were. And it's kind of like when everyone mm. goes to some psychic and the psychic tells them who they were in a past life, everyone is Cleopatra. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And nobody was like, oh, I was a peasant and I died of dysentery and I fell into a ditch. <laughs> I mean, that's nobody was that boring. But everyone's parents yeah. were Jor-El, who is the greatest scientist on this great planet of Krypton. And Like you said, that last act of love, it wasn't like my parents dropped me off at the orphanage because they had to pay for their habit. I mean, mm -hmm. that's not who Superman's parents were. Everyone wants this sort of special heritage that... I mean, everyone loves their adopted parents. These are the people who really defined you. And when you really get down to it, Superman, Clark Kent, is a son of Kansas. Krypton is, is just a place that he's seen recordings of, but it's not a place that he has any real memories of. It's not a place that has defined him as a person. It's not his culture. It's not his home. He probably doesn't really have any memories of his dad, aside from those recordings of Marlon Brando that he plays every so often. <laughs> I mean, he gets kind of like Sim Dad on the <laughs> Fortress of Solitude. But again, despite the fact that he is an alien, this is a guy from Earth. He mm. sees himself as a man from Earth. And I'm sure that in his own mind's eye, Clark Kent thinks of himself as an Earthling, even if, mm. you know, his parentage is much more E.T. than that. To interject on the whole foundling thing, well, I I'm adopted. And I always saw that connection almost exactly the same. The idea that, you know, you have these parents who gave birth to you and you're tremendously grateful to them you don't necessarily know them but you're tremendously grateful to them because they saw that you know this was a situation that they were in they you know may not have been able to take care of you or they might not have been able to provide the sort of home that you wanted in superman's case a home that doesn't explode <laughs> <laughs> and so they they gave you up they you know were willing to sacrifice that you hand you over to the care of people who would raise you and, and care for you and, and love you. It's a, it's a wonderful piece of symbolism there, is that not only does he, he have the two sets of parents, but he has the two sets of parents who are willing to do so much for him. So Casey, you're somebody who most recently became a dad. Hmm. So in preparation for this podcast... <laughs> would you shove your kid into a rocket? Sure. <laughs> no, but you watched a lot of scenes yeah. with a person who knew that he was going to die shoving his newborn into a rocket and hoping for the best for him. I mean, do you watch yeah. that with a different eye as a dad of, now of than course, you did? Of course you do. 
And it was interesting because I was trying to view many of the movies and stuff across different times and storytelling iterations. And one of the things that I found that was really interesting was the part where I think they did it emotionally the best, where they sort of portrayed that, was the new movie. And and I have lots of criticisms about the new movie, as we'll get into. But <laughs> Man of Steel, oh for whatever reason, and I think maybe it's because Russell Crowe was the acting chops yeah. for this movie. And I think he really sold it. The idea of... The idea of having to sacrifice your child just after you're seeing it born, which is the moment where the child is the most innocent, where it has the biggest potential, and you feel a sort of a biological, but also a strong moral and ethical sense of need to protect it, is heartbreaking, is utterly heartbreaking. I think they reiterate this exact sort of feeling to varying degrees throughout the rest of the Superman movies. But I think that's one thing that compels a certain slice of your audience about the story, because that paternal, that that filial love that's there, and that's the glue. That is what it becomes the foundation for Superman's morality actually mm. is that he is born in a physical act of love and he is delivered to earth in an act of sacrifice and love and it is that that constructs his core of morality it's sort of interesting mm. that throughout the most recent iterations of Superman that you see in film that the Jesus allegory has been hit so hard mm, and yeah. A lot of people are criticizing Man of Steel for this, but this is nothing new or unique to Man of Steel. No. Nope. I mean, if you watch the trailer to the 1978 movie, and even the 78 movie itself, Jor-El's monologue, and indeed the narrator of the trailer itself is saying that because Jor-El saw the capacity for good in humankind, he gave them his mm. only son, Yeah, which is straight out biblical right there. Exactly. I always find it kind of funny. I mean, the same thing. How many crucifix poses are in the current Man of Steel movie? Oh, yeah. As well as mm. Superman Returns, who actually falls to Earth crucifix style after right. basically, supposedly, trying to sacrifice his life to save the whole planet. It's funny because it's a character who was created by two Jews and whose life story matches Moses a hell of a lot more yep. than, yeah. than Jesus. I mean, for instance, you mm. know, Moses put in a basket sent down the river by his parents to save his life raised by a different set of parents, comes to become this great hero, occasionally travels into the future, team up with teenagers to fight future crime. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it all matches up. Yeah. I, I You know, but I mean, that's that's kind of the thing. Simon & Schuster always sounded like an advertising agency to me. Se Siegel & Schuster. Siegel & Schuster. Yeah, Simon, Simon & Schuster, Schuster is, is a, an advertiser. He's a publisher. Yes. Siegel & Schuster mm. sounds like an advertising agency. I get, I get that screwed <laughs> up. But um, Draper, Siegel & Schuster. Exactly. But that's the thing is this is one of the things that comic books have that a lot of different types of literature doesn't is that because you have this constantly shifting authorship of these stories, you get glimpses into how the authors are thinking when you shift from one to the other. Mm -hmm. Superman's origin story, as it was written by the original authors, is, is very, you know, Old Testament. But as they start moving to different authors who are more mainstream American, you know, weird, weirdo Christian substrate types, he suddenly gets more and more Jesus-y as time goes on. And from my experience, Superman is Jesus. I mean, I think that, to me, the founding fathers of the Americas... George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, and stuff like that. Those guys, the, the way people talk about them, I guarantee you in 500 years, they're going to be religious figures, and there's going to be like an Americanism. And Superman is going to be the Jesus figure of that religion. Mm. He's going to descend from the heavens with the Constitution and <laughs> hand it to Thomas Jefferson <laughs> with Hassanas in the air. And, and Superman loved the world so much that he 
fought Doomsday, and yeah. uh, they battered each other to death. Yeah. And, so that the Metropolis may live. Right. And it's going to be the mm. Trinity. It's uh, Kal-El, Jor-El, and... and well, can we, and, can, can we talk about American symbolism now? And, and I feel like we are not entreating upon talking about Man of Steel yep. too soon here. The fact that we can make that Superman it does stand for truth, justice in the American way, and he does embody, he's red and blue, and I suppose his face is white, so he's red, white, and blue. When you get to Man of Steel, we start to depict Metropolis is always New York, and then after 9-11, we just unconsciously look at something that's filmed in New York or cities that are basically aping New York to have that association, and this movie, the Man of Steel, is full of imagery that is entirely reminiscent of news footage. Oh, jeez. Mm. I, I could go on about that for some time. That was one of the things that most took me out of the movie was the, the, the terror imagery. And that was something that I... This was a thought I had to myself on 9-11, you know, back, what, 12 years ago now. I was watching the news and I was watching these buildings fall and, and one of the thoughts I had, because I am this much of an asshole, that, wow, disaster movies are going to be much more realistic now. Hmm. I was really dreading the day when I would sit down and watch a movie that wasn't about 9-11 where they were copying 9-11 imagery and Man of Steel yep. was it and that took me right the fuck out. I was just, I was like disgusted and then two minutes later they do the satellite scene where they go up and break up the satellite and drag it and then it re-enters exactly like the fucking Columbia and, mm. and that mm. was just, and that just drove me nuts. This production team is just taking every huge national tragedy that's happened to America and putting it in this little two-minute skit to make their movie more realistic. I, 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 it's very rare yeah. that a movie actually makes me that angry. And I know we're going to the movie a little bit too quickly. Yeah. But I would say that, yeah, Amer mm. Superman does embody the American way a little bit more than people realize. For me, for one mm. of the things Superman embodies is the face of American imperialism. The mm -hmm. way Superman is... Mm. And the way Superman basically just intervenes whenever when when the chips are down, Superman yep. shows up and saves them. That's how a lot of Americans view American interventionism is, yeah. you know, things are bad. It's like, let's look at Syria right now. Yeah. They're throwing chemical weapons around. Mm -hmm. And now the White House is saying, well, we got to go in and fix that. That's not how it works out in real life, of course, because it's not literature. But that I think the Superman mythos, or at least what the Superman mythos represents, is sort of what enables America, you know, the United States to do what it does politically sometimes. Oddly enough, George Orwell um, said that in, it, about Superman initially. Back in the 40s, George Orwell said that there is a danger of using this mythology the folkloric elements of something like Superman to turn it into a worship and veneration of strength right? and a worship and veneration of power. And it's like, you know, so power is good and the strong man is good by virtue of being strong, which is kind of interesting that, yeah, it has taken to be that, that kind of symbolism. I think one of the problems with using Superman as an allegory is the more you try to push that, that allegory and the more you try to make every little bit fill that allegory is that especially with something as, and I mean, Superman is kind of naive. It's a, it's a child's character. It was invented by two guys, one of whom was a nerdy science fiction fan whose father had been murdered in a holdup, who was picked on, wore glasses, and was just really into science fiction. The other guy was a quiet introvert who was really into bodybuilding and, and physical development. <laughs> and these guys were like teenagers. They were really young guys when they came up with this character. And he was, he was a villain at first, wasn't he, Paul? Superman. Um, they did a thing called Wrath of the Superman or Reign of the Superman or something. 
Superman, the, the Superman character was never a villain, but they did a, a short story which they submitted to a science fiction magazine at the time about a character who was bigger and tougher and more powerful and had these tremendous mental abilities who used these powers for evil. He was a Superman who, because he was more powerful, tried and succeeded in taking over the world. And then they sort of looked at that concept and went, well, what if we turn that concept on its head and instead of being a, a monster... He had to use his powers to help instead of to rule over everybody. As I say, I think trying to fit every element of an allegory is a, is a big mistake. And I think if you push the character too far in a certain direction, it breaks the character. Do you think that's specific to Superman, or is that just sort of something that happens oh, in literature? It does happen with everything. If you push a character too far in, in any direction, it's an element of craft, to mm. be honest. If it's badly executed, if, if there's a, a poor piece of execution, then it can damage the character in people's eyes. Yeah, Superman's a character that, in my opinion, you're talking about bringing Superman into this real world or bringing these real mm. terroristic elements and imagery into a fantasy world. That's a problem I have from the standpoint that I think Superman really has to exist in a world that is somewhat different and apart and has fantasy elements yeah. from our own. And one of the things I really love about the 1978 movie is that there is a sense of anachronism about it. Yeah. That it's partially yeah, mm-hmm. the 1970s, but there's elements of the 1940s there. There's yep. a sense of the 1950s there. There's a sense of so many things colliding to create its own sort of universe. And yeah. I think that putting Superman into a world where, as in real life, any superhuman battle is going to cause, God, thousands of casualties if not tens or okay, hundreds we, of thousands we've been dancing around it do we just want to dive in no i okay. I, I, I think we got to create the contrast first okay, okay. because once you dive into that place kind of like the uh, the dark side you know forever will it dominate your destiny <laughs> <laughs> and i think that with superman you have to put him in a world and that you can do things that are impossible because he's an impossible character this mm. is a guy who can move so quickly that he can travel back in time, somebody who can melt things with his eyes just by staring at them, somebody who can freeze things with his breath, who can take a nuclear blast without dying or even getting much of a suntan. He can lift mountains. And he's about a character who does impossible things. And the thing that makes Superman really incredible, like you said, is that morality, Paul, that this is a guy who has incredible restraint, who has a credible sense of morality, who will not accept things like collateral damage, that this is something that he refuses to accept. Even one dead person he considers a failure. This is not like a video game quest where, oh, I only need to save four of the prisoners and I win. Yeah, He doesn't accept that. He says, if there's one that doesn't make it, that's going to weigh heavy on me. That's part of what I meant by it's how a lot of Americans think of themselves as in interventionism. You know, we'd like to think that people are, they're trying to keep casualties down and stuff like that and that's how a lot of people want us to be the problem is we're not like that yeah if we took a little bit more from superman in that respect i think we would be a little bit better off that's why i think the one-off elseworlds uh red sun which is oh, a comic book that was yeah. made in the 90s was it in the 90s yep mark uh, millar and what was the name of the, it david i want to say dave thomas but that's the wendy's guy and it's not dave thomas not the dave wendy's thomas, guy no. what was the name paul 
Dave Johnson. Dave Johnson. So it's a recasting. Yeah. It's an Elseworld. So it's an alternate universe recasting of the Superman story, where instead of his ship landing in Kansas, it lands in the Ukraine. Yeah. And so he comes up in the fifties under or the forties and the fifties under Stalin, and he becomes the de facto. He still, he's still Superman. He's still the hero of the world. He still is borderless. He still saves everyone, regardless of where they come from. But he he is trying his best to live up to the highest ideals of Leninism. And he is met in opposition by the super genius capitalist Lex Luthor, who is attempting to try to discredit Superman's ideology by discrediting communism. But the great part about this is, is that Superman's morality and his and his ability and desire to save them will transcend his ideology entirely. And I think the most fascinating piece of Red Sun is that eventually Stalin dies and Superman inherits the mantle of the Soviet Empire. And I think that's that's why I want to challenge you in Red Sun, which I, I really liked. Superman is not borderless. Border yeah, disputes well, actually. That's true because yeah. because they're trying to expand the Warsaw Pact. I mean, right. he's actually he becomes the agent of a body politic of the Soviet Union. But it's interesting in the end he co-ops the Brainiac technology to his enemies, the ones that he should kill but can't keep them under control. He has Brainiac create a, a mind control device to become an agent for the Soviet Empire to sort of help him on the project. And Lex Luthor nearly destroys the entire world or he, he bankrupts the United States of America trying to make a superpower worthy of opposing Superman's Soviet Union. But I love the idea that Superman as a character and his morality does not have to be bound to an American idea, that you could actually recast the character and him taking another spin on a, what would be at a time a completely diametrically opposed political system from his normal origins. But I think there was sort of a subtle satire to that in Red Sun in that mm. the American and Soviet political systems weren't really that different right you know mm. there was a lot of economic dissimilarity and there was a lot of different concepts in execution but the things that these governments supposedly stood for were very similar in both cases mm. and that's one of the things that i think red sun really really showed in a, in a way and the fact that the something that superman doesn't do in the canon is he's not really used as a u.s propaganda tool where if he landed in the ukraine that's exactly what they would do he would be it's interesting with superman the idea of him is both a propaganda tool and as a object of worship you mentioned the americanism the idea of turning him into something that you deify that's a theme that actually pops up in a lot of superman comics the idea of a small cult of people deciding that superman is someone to be worshipped not just someone to thank, like, say, a firefighter who can just put out fires on, like, a global scale, but as a guy who is like a deity who's come down literally from the sky to solve all of your problems. And one of the things I've always really liked is that Superman is a character who is really uncomfortable with the idea of people worshipping him. This is a plot yeah. that's been come up thousands of times. Yeah. Always you have Superman have to gently but firmly tell people, he's just a guy, that I may be mm. able to fly, I may be able to lift mountains... But I'm just here to help people. And there's nothing that I do that you can't do on a smaller scale. And that I do want you to volunteer at a soup kitchen. If you're bulletproof, I'd like to have your help fighting Lex Luthor, maybe. <laughs> but if you're not, they're all things that we can do. I'm here to inspire you to greater things. I'm here to be an example, perhaps, 
But again, I'm just a guy. And I'd like there to be a lot Ooh. more a guys out there. And we all can raise to what we're capable of. I'm just capable of more than a lot of people, just as there's a lot of people who don't have the physical qualifications to be a firefighter. But those that do, mm. it's great to see that those are people out there who can save lives and that Superman never devalues the work of people who are less powerful than them, whether it's another superhero yeah. who doesn't have the same kind of level of power as him or a firefighter or policeman. Yeah. That everyone's working to their, their capability. He just has greater mm. responsibilities that come with his level of power. Is there a bit of reason why some people may not like Superman, that, that he comes across as a bit of a Mary Sue? I, I guess you could. I mean, we're talking about Superman basically taking in culture, like you mentioned before, Sam, being yeah. sort of a prism through which we shoot our modern day culture in, that of mm. course, the ugly parts of our culture are going to make it in there too. So there's been versions of Superman where you see some ugliness in there. And I always mm. think that that's a real shame, because I think that when we get to the heart of who this character is, he's an optimistic one. Not just optimistic in his sense of things are going to work out, but that people are basically good. That mm. we may be greedy, but it's because that we're in a situation where we don't have a lot of options. Because of that, he, t he tends to be very understanding even with criminals. There's a number of stories where mm. this guy has superpowers and is going crazy and his abilities are attacking the city around him, whether he's telekinetic or he's shooting fire. And Superman sees that guy and says, that guy's in a lot of pain and he's clearly afraid. Right. I'm going to try to calm him down. I want to let, to let him know that I can't mm. let him hurt other people, but I'm not going to hurt him. I'm not going to run right in and punch his head off, which he could do. Mm. But I'm going to mm. try to save this person as well as all of the people around him. And again, that restraint. And he has a sense of humor about it. Without being a dick, he doesn't want to make people feel bad. There's a side of that that people don't think about much when they think of Superman. They think, you know, leap tall buildings, you know, heat vision, sometimes Ooh. masonry vision. Um. <laughs> <laughs> but Superman is also a scientist. He's also a researcher. He's a super scientist. And I, you know, and I, I think that came to the fore kind of in the 50s when the saviors of humanity were going to be the scientists. And then sort of the cynicism creeped in about science when things started going weird, as things do. And then, you know, it goes back to more Superman as a, as a guy who could punch things. The power to punch things is the least interesting thing about him. Yeah. Mm. There was a great story, again, getting back to his restraint, that this is a guy who's optimistic. My abilities, whether as a super scientist or as this incredible physical specimen, are a means for which I can help people. I can help people feel safe. I can protect mm. them from danger, sometimes even from themselves, but also from people who are as powerful as me but don't have my intentions. People that they can't fight on their own. I'm not there to run their lives. I'm not there to be their god. I'm not there to be their ruler. I just want to be there as like the ultimate fireman who's way overqualified to be a fireman. And mm. one example is the ability of him to not use violence unless it's absolutely necessary in his best versions. There is a great story that took place in a Superman comic where Superman encountered the Weather Wizard, who was a Flash villain. The Weather Wizard? The Weather Wizard. <laughs> He's kind of goofy. He invented a wand. He should have been in the movie. <laughs> oh, he would be great in any movie. He's, uh, he created a wand that controls weather. So he can create a blizzard or a tornado or a snowstorm, or, you know, any number of sweltering heat. I mean, this is a guy who basically should win a Nobel Prize, but instead he's using this thing to rob banks. <laughs> because it's apparently a lot less lucrative than the Nobel Prize, a million dollars, and God knows how much money would roll in from the patent on this thing. Oh, yeah. So, anyways, that aside, again, we're talking about a fantasy world. Yes, clearly. The Weather Wizard's on a rampage. Superman shows up, arms akimbo, and tells him he better knock this off. <laughs> And the Weather Wizard goes into monologue mode. 
And he's just like, ah, oh, Superman, you file before I have control of very elements. You cannot stop me, Superman. And he's just gesticulating and getting really, really Shakespearean. This guy was clearly in drama. <laughs> Suddenly, he looks out his hands while he's waving them around and realizes he's not holding the wand. <laughs> and then, like a minute ago, Superman had swept in at super speed and was holding it. And it's just like, I'm going to let him finish. <laughs> because he, does, he could swoop in and just... I'm going to let you finish. <laughs> I'm going to let you... <laughs> Yeah, Superman is now Kanye West. <laughs> no, Superman swipes in. He could have just punched the guy in the head and humiliated him. Yeah. But he's just going to wait for the guy to realize that it's over and go, all right, let's take I'd you to the police that, station. I'd call that pretty humiliating at the end of the day. Oh, oh crap. The thing that makes me a supervillain is gone. The whole idea that, you know, he, he could have just gone, uh, look, I don't have time for this crap. Bam. But he, he sort of went, no, I'm going to let the guy finish. I'm going to stop him from hurting anybody, but I'm going to let him finish. You know, I'm going to take this thing off him. I'm going to grab him by the collar. I'm going to haul him off to jail. But there's no reason to be a douchebag about it. You know? <laughs> he wants to have his speech. That's cool. That's not hurting anybody. But, you know, let's just stop with the blizzard. <laughs> <laughs> there, there was another great instance in a comic where a Harley Quinn, you know, Joker's girlfriend, had yeah. stolen an experimental jetpack. <laughs> because why not? <laughs> That's just such a great sentence. That, that's a plot that had its genesis in a bar. <laughs> Guaranteed. Yeah. Hey, let's give her a jetpack. All right. So she grabs this thing, straps it on, goes toodaloo, Superman. <laughs> and she's flying away, you know, chuckling to herself like, I should show that Boy Scout. And he's keeping pace. Yeah. And she's like, I'm not getting away. And he's like, <laughs> no, you can land over there. <laughs> and they land. He takes it and says, okay, officer, here she is. He doesn't need the need to be mean if he doesn't have to be. So I'm thinking about this. Did I know Warren Ellis did like Planetary and some some stuff that was about superheroes like mm. this, but he never actually wrote for Superman, right? I don't Not think he ever I actually can... wrote for DC. Paul, I I don't believe he ever did, but do you know? I'm trying to think, Ellis. Uh, well, uh, he did the Planetary Justice League thing. Yeah, where what was that? You had Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman as the secret guardians of the weird stuff. Yeah, Ellis. I know Ennis has written some really good Superman stuff, which is really weird. Yeah. Because uh, Ennis is one of those guys who hates superheroes. Oh, he God, just, yeah. He heaps shit on them. But Superman is one of the guys that he respects because he really admires the purity of the character. It's so weird because this is Ennis is this writer who styles himself as the ultimate cynic in a lot of ways. Mm. Mm. When superheroes showed up in a series called Hitman that took place in the DC Universe... Oh my God, he humiliated these people. He made Green Lantern look like a mm. piece of shit. But the Superman story, I think we're talking about the same one, Paul, where, yeah. where Tommy Monaghan, the main character of Hitman, is sitting on a, a roof smoking a cigarette and suddenly Superman is standing next to him. And the whole issue is just him talking to Superman and Superman stewing over a rescue attempt where he managed to save all but one astronaut. How much that bothers him. And that he remembers looking up there, getting the last guys into the escape hatch and turning around and seeing one guy that he can't save. And the guy blocks eyes with Superman. And Superman also knows the reputation he has that when Superman shows up, things are cool. Things are cool. Everything's going to be okay. I'm fine now. I have this disaster. It looks hopeless. I lock eyes with Superman and I realize he's not going to save me. And how much that affects Superman and knowing I can't disappoint people in that way. Yeah. Mm. Garth Ennis, who is famous for having scenes in his comics where a crazy redneck has sex with a meat woman, <laughs> it is somebody like me who has, again, the crusty, crumbly outer shell of cynicism and jaded fanboyism. 
but underneath Superman can crack through that and you can go, you know what? This guy's really awesome and he's a nice guy. And even Tommy says that. Tommy actually, who's this grumbly paid assassin, asks for Superman's autograph at the end of the story and gets it. And he's like, listen, uh, I know that um, um, this is kind of embarrassing. And Superman just goes, let me guess, it's for your daughter, right? (laughs) (laughs) I think the thing that Ennis likes is that there's no pretension there. One of the strengths of Superman and also one of the weaknesses is that you have to kind of approach the character with sincerity. Because the simple fact is that, again, if you try to push that realism, if you try to push that too far... He's like Santa Claus. You know, if you try to push it, you know, if you sort of go to kids, there is Santa Claus. And when they start asking questions, the more you keep pushing it, you know, oh, no, he's magic and he travels in time and he's invisible. You know, the more ludicrous it becomes. I'm trying to imagine (laughs) a a grim and gritty take on Santa Claus, like Santa Claus, the Kris Kringle returns. Mm. (laughs) He's all all angry and drives around. Santa Claus breaks into every home with a child in it yeah. while they are sleeping and does does things and then leaves gifts. And the rest of the year he reads their mind. And then, yeah, for the rest of the year he watches all of them in this omnipresent panopticon of the soul. <laughs> and Judges them all. Judges them. Yeah, this is a movie that writes itself. With no oversight. He's kind of like a happy, cheery Judge Dredd. <laughs> The uniform's oddly similar, now that I think about it. Guilty. <laughs> More than just a lump of coal there. I am the law. <laughs> I think Superman is like exactly like Santa Claus in that regard, is that I think he needs, again, to take place in a world which doesn't quite feel real. It's a yeah. magical yeah. world. Like, when you push him into a world where 9-11 and things like that exists, all you can do is see his failures, and I get that same feeling as that astronaut, is like, this horrible thing is happening, and Superman is here. It's supposed to be okay. Yeah. And that six-year-old in me just freaks out. Well, one of the things that Sam mentioned was he was talking about the similarity between the, the satellite you know, crashing to Earth and the Columbia. One of the really odd things was that in John Byrne's reboot in, in Man of Steel, which was when they rebooted the character back in the, the mid-'80s, the big thing that Superman did, which got everybody's attention, was, you know, which sort of went, there is a guy in the world, his name is Superman, he's got superpowers. His first big public experience was saving the space shuttle Columbia. Oh, jeez. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I'm always a little bit Raped nervous about in the changing history, and this is the same reason I have a problem with Superman 4, which is, of course, the anti-nuclear movie, just the same oh, way that yeah. Star Trek 4 is the Save the Whales movie. Right. <laughs> the problem with doing these messages, and I think that, like, the message comics, and we've talked about that before, Paul, is that when you have these real-world problems invade a fantasy world, like, say, world starvation or landmines or child abuse or... In this case of Superman 4, nuclear proliferation, you can either have Superman solve the problem, which he could do, and Mm. you cheapen the work of all the people in real life going, wow, I just wish we had a demigod to do something about this. (laughs) Or two, the problem is Superman's not allowed to solve it, and he looks like a sap. Yeah. Mm. And I always worry about that. Like, I don't want to see Superman deal with terrorists. I, in the same way, I don't want to see Captain America go too far into terrorists. I'll see him punch Nazis and hate group members all the mm. time. I love it. Well, didn't it happen a couple times in the comics that somebody launched an ICPM and then basically Superman went up and kicked it? Yeah, if he kicks it oh. into space, but I don't want to see him miss. And that was okay. the big beef of too much realism. Superman can't save everybody. That's the cold, yeah. hard fact. Well, yeah. We've talked about this before, Mike. This is a really interesting thing, not just about 
Superman, but in superheroes in general, and about, like I said, bringing real-world problems as plot points there. Interestingly enough, supervillains are largely... I just got finished watching Superman Returns last night, and Lex Luthor wants to use a bit of kryptonite and a crystal from the Fortress of Solitude to create more real estate, because he's been foiled before. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, being a real estate baron is highest uh, highest achievement is to be the, the king of a new continent. But supervillains across the spectrum, you know, be it Joker or Zod, for example, they are people who see the existing structure of Earth, of America, of humanity, and, and our institutions, and they say, there is something that is not right or efficient or good or advantageous about the situation, and I'm going to dare to want to do something different. And so superheroes are always the ones that are def- they're defending justice, but really they're defending a status quo. They're saying, you know, America in its current iteration, in its political and economic sphere, this is the way it should be. And anyone who, like maybe Bane from Dark Knight Rises, wants to say, well, let's look what happens when we remove government, when we remove the constraints of state violence and see what what happens to humanity. Let's dare to dream of what could be there. The superhero Mm. has to say, it doesn't matter what what, what your motivations are, you just can't mess with the status quo. And there's something about that that seems kind of offensive. I think humanity's weakness right now isn't that we don't have Superman to help us, it's that we do not have the capacity to dream ourselves a better situation. And we're losing that with each iteration Cynicism is the illness of our times. I, I definitely agree with that. They did a really nice story about that. Alex Ross and Paul Dini did a thing called Superman, the Power of Hope, where he basically went, I'm Superman. I can save the world. He basically takes it upon himself to feed everybody in the world. This is kind of challenging that whole idea of all superheroes can do is maintain the status quo or that they don't do enough to change the status quo. And he tries. And the simple fact is that he can't do it. Hmm. He can't do it without invading countries. He can't do it without deposing rulers. He can't do it without taking over the world. Superman would like to help, but in the end, it's that whole idea of, I am not here to rule humanity, and that's what it would take. I, that, I, wow. So Superman, The Power of Hope, it, have yep. you seen that? Have yeah, you read I actually it? own a copy. Is, is it good? I like it. It's one of the... The Superman it's a little schmaltzy, but... Okay. I know. agree there. It's beautifully drawn. Yeah. Of course, it's Alex Ross Art, who also did Kingdom Come. Amazing. Right. Yep. Okay. So it's glorious. I like the sense of Superman wanting to do some real good in the world, that I want to change, that there's something in the world that I am not happy with in the status quo, and he does get involved. He doesn't depose leaders, but he starts to wonder if that's the only way to do it, if I have to keep coming back to this dictatorship every day to stop them from mm. just taking all the food away from these people. Oh, taking food away. Right, like okay. he goes down there, drops off all this grain, and the dictator takes it. Mm. So instead, he mm. goes down there and just stands by it and lets the peasants take it and go, yeah, you show up with guns, I'm going to melt your guns. And mm. it's like, do I have to keep coming back every single day? And the real question he has in the end is, I can't do this dot, dot, dot alone. Everyone has to do this. Mm. There are limits to what even Superman can do, that that Superman can do all these things, but if everyone did it, we'd be more effective than just one Superman. That's not the direction yeah. I thought you guys were taking, and that sounds really, mm. that sounds a lot better. I thought it was like he can't mm. like produce the food. It's like space, space. No, no, no. <laughs> no, there's a great scene with him pulling a giant yeah. plow almost from space, and it's basically plowing an entire massive grain field <laughs> so that he can feed all of these people and that's the thing that's fun with superman is seeing him do crazy things like they actually built a plow that looks like it's like 10 city blocks wide <laughs> for him to get food for people 
I like little things like that. It's interesting, the status quo question with Superman, because his original incarnation in the Great Depression, when he was created, was Mm. as a rabble-rouser, that he was not a status quo guy. It wasn't until after World War II that the Superman that we know as the world's greatest Boy Scout came into being. Mm. That at first, this was a guy who, oh, really? Horrible, crooked landowner? You're building unsafe houses for people? Oh, we'll knock down your house. All those houses, those cheap, horrible, unsafe houses that you're making, and I am going to make houses at superhuman speed out of your building material that I stole <laughs> and build it for build it for poor people. Or I'm going to, for instance, throw a mine owner who has a mine that's unsafe and people are dying in collapses of the mine yep. and dying by huge numbers. I'm going to throw him down that pit and make him learn a lesson and I'll only let him out once he decides that he's going to treat his workers fairly. That one, I love that. That one's one of my favorite FDR New Deal Superman stories, where the miners are complaining and the mine owners keep sending in strike breakers to beat them up. So one night while the mine owner's having a big swanky party, he turns up, knocks everybody out. And when they wake up, they're in the mine. (laughs) And the mine owner is freaking out going, I can't be in here. It's unsafe. And he says, well, you send people down here all the time. And Superman's like, it's safe for me. I'm Superman. (laughs) So there was that aspect of him as the underdog. Because you look again, who was it that created him? People that were not in a position of power. And like you said, it was during the Depression. It was at really one of the, the low points of the, for people in the U.S. in the 20th century. Oh. Yeah, he fought scheming, horrible landlords, slumlords, politicians. Abusive husbands. That's one of the first people he fights in the first issue. Really? Hmm. Yeah. Yep. He flies in and the guy's swinging a belt at his wife and he just grabs the guy's hand and goes, you're not hitting a woman now. And at this point, he couldn't fly. So he just grabs the guy by the ankle and leaps out the window. (laughs) (laughs) He was able to jump enormous distances. So he's just hurtling through the sky and just going, you know, this is nice. And the guy's screaming and going, put me down, put me down, put me down. And Superman's all like, yeah, it's not good when somebody stronger than you is just picking on you and you're helpless, is it? (laughs) You know, that's one thing that as I was sort of cramming for this whole thing, Mike, the thing that I think is interesting that you probably won't find too many Batman stories these days or lots of other comic books, for example, or heroes that are made into movies. There's whimsy with Superman and his stories. Mm. There are things I watched Superman Returns last night and I thought Brian Singer, the guy who had been known for bringing X-Men, which is far darker and far more complex Mm. of, of a comic book to the screen. I felt like Despite the fact that he was saddled by the fact that he wanted to, to retain the legacy, the, the theme song, the characters and their inflections from mm. the Richard Donner movie, the 1978 Superman, there was something about the world he populated, the metropolis he populated. For example, when Clark comes back, so Superman comes back from five years after trying to find Krypton, and he's been gone this whole time, and the world's been getting steadily worse. He comes back to the Daily Planet and finds that Lois has been engaged, been on a long engagement, and basically is unavailable, has had a child. He's Clark Kent, but of course he's Superman trying to rekindle a burgeoning love that he started before he left. And there's a scene not long after he gets to the Daily Planet and settles in that he's riding a crowded elevator down, this gold inlaid elevator, impossibly crowded with 20 people. And he's on one side carrying a stack of books and Lois Lane's on the other side and he's trying to get her attention. And there's no word spoken in the scene at all. Mm. He's just sort of smiling and, hey, look at me, hey, look at me. And then she kind of returns him with a coy smile that, oh, you're, it's just Goofy Clark or whatever. There was more, there was so many mountains of characterization and charm shown in that one Mm. scene that that wasn't crucial to the plot at all. You could have easily played that out in three lines of dialogue in the scene before. 
Superman as this character is not afraid to have whimsy. It's not afraid to have mm. things that are goofy and charming. And that might have entirely been lost, I think, in the newest movie. Like with the Santa Claus metaphor from earlier is the whole thing of like, if you push it too far, it stops making sense. If you get to the point of like, well, you know, the kid saying to the parents, I've looked at it logically, Santa Claus can't possibly exist. <laughs> the parents should be going, yeah, no, he doesn't. Right. It's, it's just a bit of fun. It's just whimsy. It's just silly. And I think the problem is that your average comic book fanboy is like, no, he has to exist. <laughs> and so they start <laughs> pushing him into these weirder, no, but how does he do it? It just gets weirder and weirder and weirder the more you try to force it into that real world thing. There was a great moment that was recorded from a Comic-Con panel with writer Grant Morrison recently that I absolutely love to death. And a fan comes up and asks him how old Batman and Robin and all of these characters are. And he goes, they're not real. <laughs> he goes, I, I know it sounds like I'm making fun of you, but I think that the funniest thing with adults and children is that you say that children have a problem separating fantasy from reality. And he says, I found it's the exact opposite. Children can watch The Little Mermaid and see the crabs that sing and dance and know that's different than the crab that's on the beach. Right. But you see an adult and you give them a story about a person who can bend steel with their bare hands. And the first question is, how does that work? How do, that doesn't make any sense. How did it get that way? And he says, it's not real. He says, so how old is Batman? <laughs> Batman is 75 years old and Robin is 74 years old. <laughs> <laughs> you see, I like thinking about stuff like that, but, yeah. you know, like, if Superman's gonna, like, how does that actually work? How, how can Superman actually fly? The science behind it is completely ridiculous. But that doesn't take away my enjoyment at all. Part of thinking about that and doing that, for me, is actually part of the fun. The fact that yeah. I go, that doesn't make any sense. I can just go, okay, that's just part of the story. Disbelief was suspended. And, and it's fine. A part of it is because I don't take it too seriously, like a lot of the people Paul was talking about. Now, there was something that I really wanted to bring up and that we really need to do is you were talking about, Paul is specifically was talking about how you can push Batman. And there's sort of this theme that we're talking about. Mm. Batman is a story that makes sense as a dark story. There's a lot there. It's full of ennui and angst and all those tragedies. <laughs> all those great teenage words. And... <laughs> The Superman story doesn't really have that. Is Superman, and this is a, this is a criticism I've heard a lot, and this is a question Ooh. I wanted to bring to you guys, is Superman a simpler story than Batman? Hmm. Batman, to me, is a more diverse story because it's drawing on a more diverse archetype. Batman is drawing on the archetypes of Zorro and the Lone Ranger and Robin Hood and all of those characters, whereas Superman is really pulling from that Gilgamesh, Hercules, Beowulf thing. And pretty much all that those guys do is fight monsters. <laughs> whereas Robin Hood has this story and Zorro has this story and Sherlock Holmes has this story and James Bond has this story. So, you know, Batman is rolling all of those characters together. Again, with Batman, there's elements of James Bond, which was a series which was aimed at adults. There's elements of Sherlock Holmes, which was aimed at adults. But there's elements of other stuff which is aimed at kids. So I think Batman is going to get that wider audience, whereas Superman is based around these mythical strongman characters, which are pretty much aimed at children and people who enjoy that fantasy. And as Casey said, that whimsy in there as well. This is a break from our uh, thread of conversation, but because this is one of my wheelhouses, 
to overuse mm. a word. Yep. It is curious that the name Superman, that they didn't actually want to use Superman in the new movie, probably because they thought it was goofy and we, our audience wouldn't accept it. There's also, there's a double entendre because Superman has, for the entire scholarly history of Friedrich Nietzsche, been representative mm. of a different type of superhuman hero. One that yep. actually, whose morality overcomes human morality. He comes from humanity, but he becomes more than humanity. He's the reason why humanity exists is to make this guy. But yep. he is ultimately, he's the end of humanity and he's the end of morality. And I do find it curious that two Jewish authors, I don't know if it, they were aware of appropriating the word Superman, but it's interesting because Siegel and Schuster's Superman is almost diametrically opposed to Friedrich Nietzsche's Superman. Yep. Actually, Superman did appear in the anti to that mentality that there are stories prior to Pearl Harbor where Superman does get involved against the Nazi regime. And there's a great story where he pops Hitler across the face and says, here's a non-Aryan fist across your jaw. <laughs> <laughs> so he's going against that very idea of that this makes me better than you, that I am of those people behind me. I'm not better than them. I am one of them. I just have greater responsibility. Well, hanging out in your wheelhouse, I actually don't see superman as an expression of the ubermensch at all to me he's sort of he's a humanistic ideal mm -hmm. here's a guy right. with yeah, very the human morality the, uber, the opposite of the ubermensch yeah he's yeah. the because it's and i mean humanistic in the american humanistic association -y definition mm. of the word sure. is he believes in people he believes that people are good he believes that people can solve their own problems because he considers himself a part of the people. Mm -hmm. He really is a humanistic character. And mm -hmm. sort of the mirror version of that where we are talking about sort of the Ubermensch is one of my favorite science fiction stories, Paul Atreides of Doom. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a story about yeah. a superhero that's every bit yep. as powerful in his own way as Superman, where Superman has a morality that says, I'm not going to take over the world. I'm not going to run things for myself. Where mm -hmm. Paul Atreides takes over the entire freaking universe in yeah. this enormous yeah. jihad that kills billions of people. People. Yeah. I don't know where to go with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, again, what you're looking at is you're looking at the idea of a Superman being, as I said at the outset, not only super in terms of being, you know, stronger, faster, better, smarter, but also being more compassionate, more kind, more humble. The impact that Superman's had on culture, though, is really kind of mm. incredible. And one of the stories that I think is really important to tell, because I didn't know a lot about this prior to preparing myself for this podcast, but mm. Superman was instrumental in the downfall of the Ku Klux Klan. Yeah. Mm. Yep. This is something that I love to death. I mean, nowadays we look at the KKK and we see a group of hateful bullies and villains that you throw them mm. in a movie and you don't even have to give them a motivation. They're just the bad guys. And it makes you think of mm. 20 people in eight teeth. Yeah. You know, you, things like a, that. This is a bunch of redneck hillbilly assholes. And I want to see someone kick their ass. But we forget that there was a time that there were members of Congress that openly admired them. Mayors and yep. chiefs of police that were open members of their organization. Uh, the president. Yeah. They were praised by Woodrow Wilson, president of the United mm. States, about a movie called... Birth of a Nation. Birth, Birth of a Nation. Yes, yeah. thank you. Yep. And Birth of a Nation was a movie that treated them like they were Batman. <laughs> <laughs> He said, this is like history written with lightning. This is wonderful. <laughs> they were glorified for a time. Mm. After World War II, there was a bit of a resurgence of the KKK. Mm. And mm. the Superman radio show did a 16-part serial called Clan of the Fiery Cross, where Superman beat the shit out of the KKK. They were treated like the mm. bullies and the thugs that they were, rather than this mysterious masked organization trying to protect mm. civilization. 
Within weeks of this airing, the recruitment drive just completely dried up. Nobody wants to team up with the guys who got beat up by Superman. If Superman yeah. thinks they're assholes, they are bad, bad guys. I learned about that from an episode of QI, actually, <laughs> and I, I thought it was great. I'm really not a superhero fan. I'm actually, I think superheroes, I guess I'm sort of on Garth Ennis's page with that. I think they're kind yeah. of silly, but I can't badmouth them the way I used to because of stuff like that. They've had a really positive impact. Got rid of the clan. Mm. I mean, take it for what it's worth, but there wouldn't be Seinfeld without Superman. Uh, <laughs> things like that. I will agree with you on one point. Superheroes are silly. Yeah. But I love the yeah. shit out of That's them. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, and I think it's something that Paul and I talked about before is what makes these characters great, which is on one hand, the absurdity. This is a man in an acrobat costume who battles criminals, and I fucking love it. <laughs> and on the other hand, there's a sincerity there. There's not winking at the camera. Yep. The thing that's wonderful about Christopher Reeve's Superman is just how fucking earnest he is. Yeah. That he is yeah. wearing a ridiculous costume. He is wearing a bright red and blue outfit, and it never feels out of place. That somebody could walk out and be like, uh... But he never gives a sense of insecurity about how he looks. These are my yep. clothes. I am Superman. And yep. it never feels weird. Mm. It never feels silly. Going back to the question that I asked Paul about, is Batman yep. a much more complex story? I mean, for me, I was thinking about it. And because of that stuff, and just because of this enormous history that Superman has in the comics, I think the waters are just as deep, but they're a lot clearer. It's a much more basic concept. Yeah. And one of the things I love, again, getting to that absurdity, is yeah. throughout the 1950s and 60s, Superman comics were some of the most batshit stuff around. We haven't mentioned Super Dickery yet, which no. we, we probably should. <laughs> um, I, I loved that website. I love the, still love that website. Mm. Uh, what was the one where Superman uh, marries Jimmy Olsen to a gorilla or yes. something? <laughs> yeah. yeah, what the heck was that? We were talking before about the different eras and periods and reflecting the different status quo in America. And in the 40s, it was very much that New Deal thing. You know, we have an enemy to fight and he's class inequality. We have an enemy to fight and it's bullies. We have an enemy to fight and it's the KKK or the Nazis or, you know, whatever. And then, you know, later there were different fights and different enemies and different things for Superman to stand for. In the 50s and 60s, there was this kind of thing of like, well, we've won. <laughs> We've won and, and everything is good. So, you know, what does Superman do? And so what ended up happening... <laughs> giant cock! <laughs> ...was that basically, you know, Superman... They just had to invent stuff for Superman to do. <laughs> you know? uh, and it became this weird sitcom. And then, of course, you know, expanding Superman out, they had the Jimmy Olsen stories and the Lois Lane stories, which were really sitcomish. He'd become like the Dick Van Dyke show with mad science, <laughs> giant gorillas and red kryptonite. They should make that a series. I would watch that. It doesn't matter. Superman's done everything. So if you can make it weird mm. and outlandish in other parts of the universe and other dimensions, eh, it works. Mm. It fits. You have an entire culture of people whose one desire it is is to kill that guy. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. and I, I mean culture in the full sense of the word. And one of the things that I always found really, at first, I used to really grate against the Gene Hackman version of Lex Luthor. Oh. But I fucking love him now. Okay. And one of the things I love about him is on his application for a job, occupation, super villain, <laughs> that his, his yep. goal in life, his aspiration is to be the greatest, most famous criminal in the world. Mm. Not like I run this business, I'm really rich, and I do it by committing criminal acts. Criminal is what I want to be known as. I am the greatest criminal mind. I love the mm. idea of a guy saying, I want to be a bad guy. Yeah. 
Yep. Again, we talked about absurdity and sincerity. Mm. These movies are just so damn earnest. And those Jimmy Olsen yep. comics you talked about before, Paul, mm. oh my God. Wasn't there a story where Jimmy Olsen's getting ready for his big date with Lucy Lane, that's Lois Lane's little sister, but he's been struck in with a gypsy curse that turns him into a werewolf, and how am I going to do this? Yeah, it, it, as I say, it's like the best ever. Like It's like people sort of went, Green Acres, that's pretty surreal. This is like David Lynch did <laughs> Dobie Gillis. You know, it's so awesome. <laughs> It's so, there's a lot of Hank Venture in him, too. Oh, yeah. Jimmy Olsen is one of my favorite characters. Really? He is. He's just wonderful because he was invented for the radio series. He didn't come from the comics. He originally came from the Superman radio series. The reason he existed was so Superman would have someone to talk to. Because otherwise, it's just him going... <laughs> That's it. So, you know, he, he has to sort of go, oh, Jimmy, I'm going to rescue you from these gangsters. You know, because otherwise it's just sound effects of Superman hitting people in flying places. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing with Jimmy Olsen is that he had this really long comic book run. Over 100 issues. Really? Yeah. Yeah. But he's basically a cub reporter who works for the Daily Planet. So he's an intern, a trainee reporter and photographer. So he had to have all of these adventures. And the guys in the 50s and 60s are finding it hard to come up with things for Superman to do. You know, how hard is it to come up with something for this teenager to do? So basically, they just went, let's just go nuts. <laughs> this week, he's a werewolf. And another week, you know, Superman brings back a mysterious mineral from Jupiter. And Jimmy gets exposed to strange rays, which turn him into a future man with psychic powers and a giant dome head. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, he's messing around with chemicals and turns into a giant turtle man and wrecks the city. <laughs> it was great. It's just mad stuff. I remember there was one story that I really liked. I know your boss Ian refers to as Jimmy Olsen boy Nazi, where yep. Jimmy sees a photograph from World War II and it appears to be Jimmy Olsen in a Nazi uniform shaking Hitler's hand. And he's like, yep. how could this happen? So casually he travels back in time to try to discover what happened and through a series yep. of misunderstandings ends up becoming a fake psychic Nazi general war hero <laughs> where he's pretending to predict the future and predicting allied attacks, but he's doing it in a way where it's too late to actually prevent it from happening. And he gets like yep. awarded like the Iron Cross. Wow. He's basically secretly working like because he knows the future. <laughs> he's Hitler's psychic. So, yeah, he's basically it never occurs to him to leave. <laughs> Let's get the hell out of here. Let's, you know. Well, he's like, He's in the middle of occupied Berlin, and, you know, he's sort of going... <laughs> so he's messing with the Nazis. There was another one I really liked where Jimmy goes on a dinner date with Lucy, his girlfriend, and they witness another man strike his girlfriend. And Lucy and him, who have the most unhealthy relationship I've probably ever uh. seen, screams, you know, if you were a real He-Man, you'd smack me too. And Jimmy's like, whoa, whoa. What? Jimmy's not into that. And uh, so a series of misunderstandings start happening where he's accidentally slapping her, including like a spider dangles in front of her face. He's like, I better do something. Smack. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to. And she won't believe him. And the most absurd one, it involves a game of pin the tail on the donkey and escape boxing kangaroo that wanders into the house. She accidentally pokes it with the pin and it punches her in the face. And she thinks it's Jimmy because she's blindfolded. <laughs> and and this is this is a good thing for her. Oh, from her perspective. Yeah, and he ends up having to save her life by slapping her because it always has to come full circle. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> she has to snap her out of something because there's a dangerous snake. It's Wh What? The 50s were wonderful. It's like this kid-friendly version of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
if you were a real man, you would slap me too. Wow. And of course, uh. Superman will show up and go, oh, Jimmy, you and your problems. <laughs> Which is great, yeah. Sorry, Dad. So, yeah, Jimmy's got this little signal watch which he can call Superman on. Every issue, you know, something will happen. He'll go, oh, press the signal watch, and nothing happens. And he goes, oh, Superman must be on an adventure in outer space. But really, he's back at his apartment going, oh, for fuck's sake. (laughs) (laughs) Again, Jimmy? What is it with you? This kid again. How the hell did you get on Venus? Oh, uh, that's the question, is that the trip to Venus, they have no explanation for it. Yeah, he's, it's fuck it. Now. He, he's got away. And there was yeah. a great comic that they updated recently, All-Star Superman, one of my favorite. Okay, you had me read that mm-hmm. in the run-up to this yep. panel, and i not a big fan of Superman, and I loved it. Yeah, it was, it was awesome. It what was I love great. about it is the casual weirdness, and one of it, Jimmy Olsen comes into work at the Daily Planet, and he's got a jetpack. Jetpack on! I was going to talk about that! Yeah, I just love how casually, you know, it's the effect that Superman has on the world. There are people with flight. You know, it yeah. looks like the world that you would expect Superman to be in, but then it, there's a casual pan over the city, and there are flying cars, and Jimmy Olsen takes his jetpack into work. Yeah! Why not? Yeah, this is the world that Superman is in. And it's, just, it's something that just sort of grabbed on to all of the weirdness of mm. Superman and just went with it. Yeah, there's no insecurity about it. And that's something that Paul and you and I have talked about a lot on Mike and Paul yeah. Save the Universe, which is that people who want to try to make sense of things and try to cut out all the weird, whimsical stuff and go, no, 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 superheroes are serious. Mm. I think that you really lose a lot of the joy with the yep. abject weirdness. And you look at the popularity of shows like Adventure Time, Regular Show, yeah. Doctor Who. These shows are mm. unabashedly and unashamedly weird. Yeah. And mm. silly sometimes, and funny and sometimes serious. And there's no reason yeah. Superman can't crib a page from that. Crypto. Oh, God. A dog with a cape. Yeah. I have said it before, and I will say it again. Anybody who cannot appreciate the simple joy of a superpowered dog in a cape <laughs> has no joy in their heart. Okay, I have no joy in my heart. Oh. I, 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 I have to be honest. Oh. But, but he plays fetch with like a tree, throws it into space. But I have a good reason. <laughs> Yep. Because when I was growing up, there was a dog in my house named Crypto. Oh. That was evil and crapped everywhere. <laughs> no, he's been exposed to red kryptonite. On all my toys. Yes. And then I just, he's like, who's, who, where the, named the Superman's dog? Yeah. Wow, Superman's a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> He's turned into Gargamel with Azrael. No, I, I I finally saw the crypto bits where they're playing fetch with the tree. And yeah, crypto, the idea of a superpowered dog in a cape, that's just, that is... He made him a costume. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> like, Superman super- must have also super tailor abilities as well. Yeah. Oh, you know he, he does. does. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I love it so much. And that's the things I loved in the 78 Superman movie, which is that I think you were talking to me about this too, Casey, which is that you said there wasn't much of a plot. It was just a series of montages. And I'm like, it's kind of the point is that this is not a plot movie. It's not a character movie. It's an experience movie. This is about taking somebody who's only been a series of drawings up until now and saying, let's make him real without Mm -hmm. changing anything about not making him dark or gritty or trying to make him muddy to bring him in the world. Let's bring him into the world as is. And make a guy who looks just like him. When you see Christopher Reeve walk out, he mm. is Superman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's frightening how, how much he is Superman. I think the thing with Christopher Reeve was that he just owned it. It's that coolness that you get when you don't give a damn that you're not cool. Right. One of the things to briefly mention Jimmy Olsen was that Jimmy Olsen has traditionally worn green plaid suits and a red bow tie. God, people who have translated Jimmy into other media have just busted their ass. 
trying to work their way around this outfit. Like, Why does he dress like that? Let's have him not dress like that. Let's have him look cool. I didn't know Tucker Carlson was trying to ape Jimmy Olsen's <laughs> outfit. He so is. Yeah, that's that. <laughs> wow. Such a Jimmy go, Olsen Go on, Paul. Boy. Go on, please. And meanwhile, you've got Doctor Who. You've got Matt Smith coming out, and he's going, I wear a bow tie now. Bow ties are cool. Done. <laughs> yeah. That's it. You, you know, own it. <laughs> instead of twisting yourself into a fucking pretzel, there you go. This is what I wear. Deal with it. The thing I love about the character, uh, the thing I think is just wonderful, is that for all this weird shit happens, he gets married to a gorilla by Superman dressed as a witch doctor or turns into a werewolf or giant turtle boy, travels into the future and drinks a super serum and becomes elastic lad. He's still like a cub reporter for the Daily Planet. Yeah. And that's what I love about him is the fact he has adventures. He goes out and solves crimes and fights bad guys and he's always ready to do that. And I like the idea that there's this teenager who's just fearless <laughs> and the bad guy turns up in a giant tank shaped like a rhinoceros and goes i will wipe you out and he's just sitting there taking photos going seriously dude you know i eat weirder things than you for breakfast i've been weirder things than you <laughs> before breakfast so you know smile for the camera just deal with it I love that aspect of the character. It's just like, I live in an absurd world. I'm fine with that. That brings something up that I think about is, yeah, Jimmy Olsen is allowed to be fearless yep. because he's got this guy who will come and unscrew things up for him when things get bad. But th that's kind of Superman's whole world. Every time something bad happens, Superman shows up and fixes it. So wouldn't the world overall just get more fearless? I mean, would they stop putting seatbelts in cars? I mean, where, where does that end? They know that Superman can't show up for everything. He'll yeah, show up for occasionally. Yeah. But yeah. I kind of like the situations where Superman is overqualified for the situation. There was a scene in Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman, the sort of 90s rom-com TV oh. show. Oh. Mm. This is cool. Now, okay. hold, hold on. Where oh. Jimmy Olsen's brakes have been cut on his car and it's going out of control and he's flipping out. And he's in a convertible. Superman hears his calls for help, swoops down and sits in the passenger seat. And he's like, what's the matter, Jimmy? And he's like, they got the brakes. They got the brakes. And he reaches over and just <laughs> clicks off the key <laughs> in the ignition. And the car just coasts to a stop. And he's like, are we all good here? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's the hammer and nail problem. And he doesn't make Jimmy yeah. feel like a jerk about it. But he's just like, get it, ribs him a little bit and then takes off. <laughs> Got to save a burning orphanage. Yeah. Goodbye. <laughs> I do like the idea that, and they did that in the Christopher Reeve thing. I like the idea that Superman's not too busy to save a kitten from a tree. That's kind of what I'm talking about, though. Again, he's a good guy, and he sees this girl is upset, and he wants to do something about it. Can he do it? Yes, he can. So, you know, why, why, why wouldn't you? Let me make it concrete. And, Michael, start with you. What would the TSA look like in a world with Superman? They'd probably have much cooler uniforms. Okay. Uh, perhaps jetpack. All right. The x-ray stuff would be much more sci-fi. But would I, they even bother with it? Um, I, There's certain people that you can't really stop. I mean, that you exist in a world where there are some villains that no human agency can deal with, and occasionally you just have to pick up the red phone. <laughs> that It's just like the army can't do anything. Honestly, though, if you look at the DC Universe from any sort of real-world perspective... The their safety standards for airlines are terrible. Those things drop out of the sky, you know, on a daily friggin' basis. Yeah. Who cares about maintenance if the engine falls off? Some guys could just come and catch it. Yeah. You know, who cares? Best insurance uh, policy um, ever. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of funny, but again, we're talking about a fantasy world. And that's why we don't want we don't want to force it too much. 
it's technically not safer with Superman because the disasters happen more often for <laughs> Superman's benefit to give him something to do. But, and there's all these giant robots that we don't have to deal with. Yeah, know? thank goodness. <laughs> I mean, how much? I mean, as wonderful it would be to get giant robots, I really don't need to see the potential for my entire house to get wrecked on a fairly monthly basis. Yeah, but th- this is one of those things that I'm talking about. I, this is something yeah. I like to think about. What would this be like in this world? How would this realistically play out? It would not realistically play out, but that takes away from from my interest or my enjoyment of the story in no way. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a, probably a good time for us to talk about the great terrible thing. <sighs> I'm not going to even pretend to be neutral. I just felt my bowels about... move. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> it, it moved for us all. <laughs> it was like an Obi-Wan dark moment. I, I just sensed something. <laughs> I yeah. sense several bowels clenching and suddenly <laughs> silence. <laughs> I, I saw it last night at the $2 theater. So here's the question. I'm not going to pretend to be neutral about Man of Steel, the new Superman movie that Zack Snyder directed. More than just being a bad movie, it actually kind of hurt me. And I don't want to get in. This is not like an angry nerd rant because they changed the color of Superman's belt buckle, which they did. <laughs> <laughs> This is something where it feels like I can accept a lot of changes to Superman. And Superman has changed a lot over the years. Yeah. Can't fly, can fly. Rabble rouser, Boy Scout. And I can handle that. And Superman's going to change after I'm dead. But I think there's certain things that I don't want to see change about Superman. What do I want to get from a Superman story? Superman isn't just a guy who beats up bad guys. He's not just a guy who blows up the bad guy's ship and flies away. This is a guy who protects people. And when I see Superman literally destroying two cities and using skyscrapers as a weapon and not even passing a casual side glance to the people he's raining fucking death down on, like concrete and glass and just choking them. And and again, we're seeing the 9-11 imagery. This is stuff I don't want to see seep into a Superman movie. And there's all these squishy, fragile people down below that he doesn't seem to even notice where the Superman that I love cares about those people. He wants them to feel safe. And... Am I just a grumpy old fan that's being left behind? Am I a dinosaur in feeling... Am I, am I the old guy who's complaining about the loud rap music that my neighbor kids are making? Or is the Superman that I want to see in movies, is he dead? Well, I couldn't help but see shades of Roland Emmerich's influence yeah. on, on cinema mm. here, where if your movie is sufficiently epic enough, it means that the level, the scale of the destruction has to be this far or higher. You have to be this tall, and this tall mm. is apparently 500 911s. Uh, I have this thing about, like, I think when I saw the Total Recall remake in the, in the last 20 minutes of the movie where they're just using action scenes to resolve the fact that you know the hero is going to win, mm. I got so bored. I knew where it was going to go to A to B, and of course you know that it's going to be there. But it's no longer becomes interesting that you're shotgunned to the eyes with spectacle. And this mm. movie, in Man of Steel, the spectacle went on so long. The destruction was so complete it was so non-ending. And of course, it could not help but recall images of buildings falling, people falling out of buildings, and destruction happening on this huge level that I became numb to it. And I'm afraid of what it feels like in a world where I become, my being becomes numb to seeing such carnage. I don't think it was necessary, but I'm not the filmmaker. I just don't want to see that. And I wouldn't want my children to see that. I I, I guess for, I, I mean, I remember when Mike first saw Man of Steel uh, the first time I saw him was at a fundraiser for Ask an Atheist and he actually I think you took like Wes and somebody else and just cornered them for about 45 minutes with like this happened and then this happened and it was freaking horrible and I was like I was like I'm going over there to save them from you because like 
I'll do that too, where I'll just corner somebody about something that I'm just really, <laughs> and just basically mentally box with somebody yeah. with them. And I went over there and it wasn't you cornering them. This was a coping session. This was a group mm. therapy. You were all like, yeah, why did they do it this way? Why did they do it that way? And, and, and it was that moment that I resolved not to see the movie. And mm. But I guess my simple question is to sort of speak to, to Mike's, are you just a dinosaur? Let's take a page from Red Letter Media, a site that, that we like. Um, mm. yep. Without mentioning any of the characters or anything about superheroes, what story was Man of Steel trying to tell? It felt like a story about not a man who was from Earth who wanted to do a good thing, who saw that he had responsibilities that came from his great power, who had a sense of morality. I mean, the funny thing with this movie is that Jor-El tells in Dot Shows that he gives us a speech that tells me the Superman that I want to see. And then the movie shows me a very different person who hides from his responsibilities, who runs from them, who does petty little revengeful things against people and feels isolated and weird and sort of rejects the human race before they have a chance to reject him. And that isn't the Superman I want. To sort of boil it down, though, people yell at each other, things explode. Right. And then we're supposed to applaud this man who... When you really people get, die. Yeah, I mean, Superman, as he exists in this movie, is the worst thing that's ever happened to the human race. That he shows up mm. and immediately aliens start demanding him and he hides from them. Yeah. Mm. There isn't a, what you want to have is you want to have Superman reveal himself to the world through a sense of his own agency. He never makes those decisions for himself in this movie. The worst kind of screenplay, the worst kind of story is the kind where the protagonist does not use his own agency to move along the story. And this movie, with mm. a few notable exceptions, is basically things happening to Superman and Superman dealing with him. That's a sign of a, of a bad story. The only good movie that I know that has the same uh, character arc is the dude from The Big Lebowski. But that's, of course, a different kind <laughs> yeah. of movie. The early reluctant hero, that's part of the whole cycle of hero, the whole Campbell thing. But what's supposed to happen is they're supposed to become empowered and then right. take on the mantle of being the hero. Superman is not a hero in this movie. Mm. He saves people almost by accident. The thing that, that gets me is the Superman I want to see is I want to see the repudiation of Jonathan Kent's fears in this movie. And those are the fears that humanity are going to reject his son mm. and make him a freak and drive him out. And mm. That's what he's really afraid of for his son. What I want to see happen is I want to see Superman reveal himself to the world and get that montage of him protecting people. So when this alien invader mm. shows up and says, hand over Superman, I want that Spartacus moment where they say, fuck you, alien invader. He's one of us. Right. Mm. Because that's the moment where his optimism and the, the so-called leap of faith that he takes in humanity pays off, where they say, we're going to protect Superman. And they yeah. prove that they're not just these ingrateful little people, that they see him as one of them. And that would be the moment that I'd love to see in the movie, but they don't give him a chance to do that. You're expecting some cathartic moment where the human race stands up and says, no, go away, alien invader. And then Superman says, no, I won't let you risk yourselves this way. And then everybody trips over mm. themselves trying yes. to help each other. Yes. Okay. I want optimism. <laughs> I haven't seen the film because, <laughs> fuck it, I'm not giving them my money. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a, a big list of films that I've just basically said, I'm not giving these people my money. Because what's one of my policies with comics is I don't read shitty comics. Because if you buy a shitty comic, you're telling people, more of this, thank you. Right. This is what we want. So I haven't seen Man of Steel. I've heard a bunch about it. I've looked stuff up and, you know, there's spoilers all over the damn place. So I've pretty much read as much as I care to. My problem, 
a lot of people are framing it as I don't want Superman to be like this. But one of the things that sort of clicked with me about 10, 15 minutes ago is that Superman reflects our society, reflects our culture. Yes. In the 40s, Superman was can do. I'm going to help. I'm going to do what I can and pitch in. In the 50s, he was a bit of a dick because he was kind of a bit <laughs> secure in himself and a bit kind of self-satisfied. But then as he came along, he became this really moral figure. He became, you know, you do what you can and you're humble and you're compassionate and you're kind. My problem with something like Man of Steel is not so much what does this say about Superman, but what does it say about us? Oh, God, exactly. Yeah. What does this say about us? That This is our compass of morality. This is what I walked away from, is that for morality, for these people can be better, who has the people are worth it speech? Who has the, these are people worth investing in? The, these are people, yep. human race is great. Who has that speech? The guy from outer space. We, we, we need to suddenly... Who's dead. Go, who's dead. Yes. We have to go to some higher power. It can't come from us anymore. And you're yeah. absolutely right. And that's what I was bringing when I was talking about how Superman is how America looks at itself. This is a Superman that lives in the shadow of the 20th century. In the shadow of the 20th century. You know, Paul, you hit the nail on the head there because when I reflect on it, and our viewers should listen to uh, Radio vs. the Martians episode one, where we talk about Star Trek, that one of the things that really tears me up inside is the J.J. Abrams Star Treks. They are also a reflection of what humanity is, and I Mm. really dislike the tone the tenor and the literal universe the literal changes to the universe if it is reflected that we no longer have optimism that we are in an endless series of a downfall of our civilization of catastrophe following catastrophe and our heroes are increasingly jaded gray cynical and there is no optimism left in these characters in these worlds that could be overflowing with optimism then i like you don't want to give them my money anymore i don't want to and be it not for fanboy stockholm syndrome i might not yeah that kind of gets to a question here that i think is really important is with star trek which is supposed to be a utopian optimistic vision of our future and what we can become well and superman being this vision well. of of the human we want to be or the america we want to be and we see it become Guy punches other guy into building, everything falls down, explosions are cool. And in Star Trek, we have a lot of running around and yelling and explosions and these massive revenge plots and people being selfish. Is optimistic science fiction fantasy dead? No. No. No, absolutely not. It is in film. I refute that as well, because I recently saw Iron Man 3, and that was a fucking great Superman film. (laughs) 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 A plane explodes... There are all these people falling to their death, and he goes, how many can I catch? And they go, you can catch you know, this many. And he goes, well, fuck that. I'm going to save all of them. Yeah. yeah. Because I'm a fucking superhero. <laughs> I miracles for a fucking living. Yeah. And he grabs the people, and he goes, I need your help. I can't do this by myself. Mm. You need to help me. I will tell you what to do, and I will help you, but... If we're going to save everybody, we're going to have to work together. And he saves the shit out of all of those people. (laughs) I love that scene. And you know what really got me is that I was cynical too. And I see the scene where he's fighting on an airplane. They rip a hole in the wall. People start getting sucked out. I'm so used to that being the end of those people. They are done. They're just to show that the bad guy is evil. And when he saved them, I swear to God, I almost came in my pants. (laughs) TMI. TMI. (laughs) And I was just like, holy shit, they didn't treat them like 
like props. They, they weren't cannon fodder. Yeah. These were people, yeah. and he saved them. They're cool. okay. And the superhero did more than just fight the bad guy and fuck all those people who get in my way while I'm trying to punch this guy. I'm punching that guy because of those people. Superhero stuff yeah. aside, Man of Steel is just a crappy movie. I'm not a big fan of anything Zack Snyder's done. But the blocking was weird. Becky was giggling through the movie so much, I eventually had to poke her and say, can you stop laughing so I can pay attention to the movie, please? And it was just really the smash cuts to... Telling the backstory through cutscenes throughout the movie is fine, but these smash cuts Mm. one up against the other, it didn't make any sense. I think he was trying to tell a story about how all these people were bullying Clark and then they show up as adults later who are people who look up to him or people who have learned from him. I think that was a story that mm. he was trying to tell. I guessed at it because the only reason I guessed at it is because they'd have these smash cuts. Fat kid, guy running on IHOP, angry kid in coat, priest at the church. And it's like, okay, are you trying to tell me that these people, y- you haven't communicated this in any meaningful way? And the reason I asked the question about, is there a, this is very fresh for me, which is why I'm gushing. (laughs) I was asking the story is because there's really no pace. There's no plot. There's not really a story. That's what I mean. People scream, things explode, people die. That's the story. That's it. That's all there is. Mm. The saddest part of that entire movie to me was the heavy metal-esque flying beast that selflessly saves Jor-El, action scientist, at the beginning. (laughs) After that uh, creature died, that computer-generated birdling lizard or whatever it was, I did not care about a single character through the rest of the movie. And that tells you about how well of a filmmaker Zack Snyder is. That's the thing. I'm a lifelong, I'm a big DC fan. My love of comics was cemented by the TV shows that I watched as a kid before I could read. That was all DC stuff. That was Super Friends. That was Adam West as Batman. That was George Reeves as Superman. So I grew up reading these DC comics. These days, DC movies, they can't tell a fucking story to save their life. Mm, Yeah. I watched like 20 minutes of a pirate version of Green Lantern. It it got to the point where he was getting the shit kicked out of him in a car park. And I went, I hope these guys kill him. And I (laughs) (laughs) I wandered off to make a cup of tea. I came back. And all this time had passed and I went, oh, shit, I missed all this. Should I? Re-? No, fuck it. <laughs> and I just turned it off. <laughs> I got better shit to do. <laughs> Meanwhile, the Marvel characters that I like, I like the Marvel superheroes, but they're not the ones that I'm really attached to. In the Captain America film, where he's this little skinny guy and there's a scientist who sort of goes, so you want to enlist in the army? You want to go to Europe, kill some Nazis? And he looks at him and goes, I don't want to kill anybody. I just don't like bullies. Mm. I nearly shit my pants with delight. If I hadn't been in a cinema surrounded by people, (laughs) and I hate people who talk in the movies, I would have stood up and just gone, yeah! There's a lot of effluvia in pants in this this episode. (laughs) Yes. It's very visceral. (laughs) Yeah, it's that thing where you go, yeah, this is awesome. This is wonderful. And at the moment, DC, the company, the division of Warner Brothers Communication that owns the rights to Superman, they seem to be so defensive and they seem to be like these bullied kids who are so afraid that somebody's going to pick on them. So they have to preempt all of this by making these really defensive movies about how our characters aren't wussy and they're not lame and they're really hardcore and you know and so all these stories are just about joyless insincere dicks (laughs) speaking of joyless insincere dicks the beginning of the movie uh, the beginning of man of steel where it's zod and jor crow Uh, you know on krypton crowell crowell 
Russell. <laughs> Russell. <laughs> Russell. Honestly, I really liked that scene. If they had removed the Superman elements and turned that into a feature-length movie, I'd go see it. Yeah. I mean, it was very mm. derivative in many places. Mm-hmm. We were talking about that. It's yeah. got Star Wars elements. It's got... Avatar and yeah. lots of conglomerations of things. I like their visualization of Krypton because that, as far as I know, the comic books maybe not have had something that wild, but it was a pretty wild reimagining of Krypton as a place. And the government had sort of a really given follow the Roman Empire feel going mm. on. Mm-hmm. You know, and the technology, the setting was derivative and the sets were derivative, but somebody put some real thought into how the technology in Krypton would work. Yeah. And they had like sort of the Ooh. nanotech feel. Imagine if somebody did the Hyperion novels oh, hell yes. with that level mm. of detail. Hell yes. Glorious. Yeah, it would be great. Ooh. That was awesome. Russell was fantastic. And Becky and I were talking about this. The one scene where Lois Lane is running through the ship and every time she walks into a room, Russell is there going, okay, go left, shoot behind you. That was really well executed. That made a lot of sense. Like every time she walks into a room, he's standing there because it's a projection. And then for one little bit of scene, you can see one projection and, and, the, the, other and the other as he yes. walks in. Yep. And so Becky and I were talking about it's like, and we talked about the like, things that we liked about the we liked the actors. Uh, the guy who mm. plays Superman is good. Yeah. Lois Lane is good. Wait, isn't it Caviziel, Jim Caviziel, that plays Superman? No, oh wait, Henry oh, that's, Cavill. That's a different <laughs> Jesus Cavill. actor. Sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Yes. But what did we like in the direction? Becky and I thought about it for a while. The blocking. He's good at blocking. <laughs> Characters stand here. Angle here. No, I, I loved Russell Crowe for what he did. I loved the realization. I actually loved the idea of Superman getting to meet his father. In kind of yeah. the same way that the first movie. Mm. Superman got to meet yeah. his father again. He couldn't, couldn't hug him, though, which sucked. And I love the idea that, oh, well, Superman could go back to the Fortress of Solitude and then, like, chat with them after this, and that would be awesome. That was where the most emotional mm. investment of the movie was. There was an emotional scene there, and then they had this great historical technology thing yep. about the history of, of... I loved that. That yeah. was great. I like how they made Kryptonian atmosphere sort of an element to carry along the it being also his weakness. I'm assuming that there was, like, aerosolized particles of kryptonite in the one, atmosphere, yeah. and that's why it made Superman cough up blood. I was like, that's cool. I've never heard of that before. There's so many things that were well realized about the otherness Mm. and then when they had to bring it home then the rest of it was like oh god (laughs) okay so uh, wrap it up Paul I think Superman is still a really powerful character I think he exists as a kind of reflection of of what we can be when we are at our best and I say this not in terms of like laser beam eyes or or flying around the world backwards or bouncing bullets off our eyeballs but in terms of being good, of being kind, of being hopeful, and of extending that humanity to everybody else. The problem comes when we take this thing, which is a childhood, fairly naive fantasy, and we try to project what it would be like in the real world. And the answer is, what would Superman be like in the real world? Well, he wouldn't be like Superman. With that, we are going to take a quick break and be back with High Point, Low Point. Celebrating Aquaman, King of the Seven Seas, and Firestorm, the Nuclear Man. Available Mondays on AquamanShrine.com and FirestormFan.com. Fan the flame and ride the wave.
Rich Lyons. I'm Deanna Joy Lyons. After 20 years behind the pulpit, I lost my faith. After a lifetime of trying to make sense of religion, I realized I never had any faith. Where to turn, what to do. Shunt, abandoned, rejected, cut off, post-traumatic stress. Now there is help. Join us on the Living After Faith podcast. Living After Faith. Come laugh with me. Okay, we are back with High Point, Low Point. Sam, this is probably the easiest thing in the world for you to do. Where is Superman at his lowest? It was really too easy to say the movie, so I'm, I'm going to skip that. But I'm, I'm, I'm going to revise it a little bit in light of what we were talking about. For me, the low point of Superman was when I was going to the comic book shop as a kid in the early 90s when they were trying to make Superman look like Billy Ray Cyrus. <laughs> <laughs> And this was sort of the era of let's kill Superman, because why the hell not? It really seemed like they didn't know what to do with Superman. And I was going to say, I think it's because it's a reflection of the times. It was gimmicky, it was gritty and gimmicky, and the Cold War was over, and everything was weird. It was all of the gimmickiness of Superman with none of the camp. And it just seemed so joyless and empty to me. So, Casey? Since I didn't have too much exposure before then, the thing that I've carried with me is that the video game Superman 64 is the shame (laughs) of all video games, and it happens to be a Superman game. It's a third-person flying simulator that has terrible controls, that's merciless, and the entire world of Superman is engulfed in a green fog because the draw distance on the game was so poor. That's universally panned as the worst game on Nintendo 64 and probably Superman's lowest point. It's also funny for a character who's supposed to be so powerful. You're just so... You have no choice in that game. It's a flight simulator. You fly through rings. The game is about flying through rings. That's what the movies needed more. More flying (laughs) through rings. Superman. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So, Paul, low point. We're going to put the movie aside because we've heaped enough shit. Well, no, there isn't enough shit. (laughs) We've got to go out and make more shit. But I think one of the, the things which was a real low point for the character was... and. I kind of hate to say this because I was such a fan as a kid, was the Super Friends cartoon from the 70s. And the reason for that was that it hit at this point where parents had started watching cartoons and had gone, oh my God, they're full of violence. And so what you ended up was this Justice League show, which was so sanitized. And I think the Super Friends is responsible for a lot of the negative stereotypes of these characters. Batman and Robin, they weren't able to throw a punch. Batman was not able to be a detective. They weren't really able to use their skills. So the characters just ended up relying on, I'm going to pull this bullshit item out of my belt and just point it at the bad guy and we win. (laughs) So Batman has become the guy with gadgets. He's not clever. He's not smart. He's not skilled. He's just really rich. You know, and you had Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman wasn't allowed to be strong and powerful. She wasn't allowed to punch anything or lift anything up. So she just became the chick with the rope and the invisible plane. Aquaman, the king of the seven seas, is powerful and strong and mighty. He became the dude who talks to fish. (laughs) And I know that's something deep at the heart of, of Mike. The only character in the show that could do anything was Superman. Because it wasn't violent, he could catch planes, he could throw burning trucks into the, into space, he could punch meteorites. So basically the reputation of Superman is he's this really boring guy who fucking does everything. <laughs> <laughs> and I think the Super Friends has really cast this shadow over the characters. And 
I recently watched a couple of the series because I've got them on DVD because I do love them and hate them in equal measure. And you can really see that the people working on it just going, oh, man, and just fighting to create something with the restrictions that they were laboring under. But as I say, unfortunately, these restrictions led to the characterizations that a lot of people think of. And a lot of people don't like Superman. And Casey mentioned it before. He's a Mary Sue. He's all powerful and he does everything and everybody stands around with their thumbs up their ass just waiting for Superman to come back so they can go, good show, Superman. Making me think that if they do a gritty reboot of the Super Friends, it's basically going to be just entourage with superheroes. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, you know, you have Superman being being Superman and everybody else being the cast of Seinfeld. Yes, sort of sitting basically. In, sitting in a diner. <laughs> bitching at each other so uh, yeah that's my low point for me i'm gonna go with the utterly predictable and it is man of steel and it's a certain part of man of steel it's the part where he's battling through this city and people are looking up and they're not looking up in a sense of oh thank god superman is here because there's even a scene in superman 2 where zod is hatching his evil plan and Lex Luthor realizes he's hitched his wagon to something pretty scary. Superman shows up and says, General, care to step outside? And everyone goes, Superman, Superman. And Lex Luthor goes, Superman, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> Where even the villain sees this guy and thinks, if the world's truly in the shit, this is the guy who's going to save even me. And mm. I look in Man of Steel and there's this moments where people are looking up in fear. And I want those moments, like in the Garth Ennis, the, the, probably the most grudgy, cynical guy around, it can crack through his shell. That Superman optimism where when Superman shows up, everything's going to be okay. And I look at Man of Steel and I'm like, there's no way people are going to be happy to see this guy. No more than they'd be happy to see Godzilla join a fight because Godzilla doesn't notice them either. And Godzilla fucks up their city too. Mm. At least Godzilla has the excuse of basically being an animal. Wow. I look at this guy and I'm like, this is an Old Testament style demigod who only cares about punching him. If I die in the cause of him doing that, he won't even notice me. Mm. That to me is the exact opposite of what I want in the Superman. I want to feel like a world with Superman is a world full of wonders and jetpacks and talking gorillas and wonderful hidden cities and dogs with capes that will play fetch into space with a tree. <laughs> I don't want to think of it a world where this constant sort of Damocles is hanging over my head. And if, if Lex Luthor shows up in the next movie and says, this guy is dangerous to the world as I know he will, Lex Luthor just became the hero of the movie. Yep. That, to me, if you fuck it up so bad that now Superman's appearance is not a cause of relief, but a greater sense of tension that, holy shit, I really hope when my house burns down, they don't get my photo album. When that happens, mm. suddenly it's not a Superman I want to see. When Superman is in a movie that I can't take a little kid to, yeah. that is Superman's low point. On that note. Slow clap. High point. Let's dig ourselves out of the kryptonite and all of the shit, and I guess the rubble of Metropolis. And where is Superman at his absolute best? And Paul, I want to start with you. You mentioned before that it's very easy to see Lex Luthor as a hero. 
you know, especially in the modern day. He's a self-made man. In the recent comics, he's the peak of physical ability. He's as strong, he's as tough, he's as smart, he's as brave as a person can be. It was one of the things that Bruce Timm did in the, the Justice League thing was that he kind of made Lex Luthor. He was trying to make him a more nuanced villain instead of just sort of coming out and going, I'm a baddie, you know, writing supervillain in his application form, which I think is freaking awesome but but the danger in making a character nuanced is that you can make him into a de facto hero there is one scene in all-star superman where lex luthor experiences what it's like being superman and all he does is just wander around and just smash things and and burn people with his heat vision and and just trash the world and go i'm the most powerful thing there is now superman shows up and he says you know you've got a whole bunch of powers that you haven't used and he says, open your eyes, open your ears. And Luthor goes, holy crap, I can see everything. I can hear everything. I can know how the universe fits together. I can, this is what it's like for you all the time. You know, there's just this amazing thing where Lex Luthor just has this experience. And at this point, the powers start to leave him. And he looks at him and goes, no, I need to hang on to the powers for a bit longer. I need to, you know, if you'd let me keep them for just a bit longer, I could have saved the world. And Superman looks at him and he goes, Lex, if it had truly mattered to you, you could have saved the world anytime you wanted. <laughs> and it's that point where you just go, no, it's not about selfishness. It's not about greed. It's not about personal aggrandizement. It's about doing what you can for as many people as you can, whenever you can. It was just such a great refutation of this idea that just because he's rich, powerful, successful, and a self-made man, that's not where goodness is. Goodness is in kindness, mercy, and compassion. As I've said several times, that's, to me, what Superman is all about. I didn't have this prepared beforehand because I was, it was hard to encapsulate. I actually think that for all of the guff that Superman returns... 2006 with Brandon Routh was given and for an overshot and messy underacted sort of movie that it actually is there is one shot when Superman finally comes back he's you know he's getting his groove back sort of thing after being gone for five years he gets the suit on and he's kind of taking it out for a spin he flies up into the atmosphere spins his way around looking down on earth closes his eyes and opens up his ears to hear everything that's happening in the world. You know, he's just like looking for what's to be done next. And then he just pauses and then off like a jet fighter. That moment right there has more authenticity. It encapsulates what uh, what is amazing about Superman and what's kind of graceful about what he is more than anything else that I've seen. That moment, right, that clip right there made the movie for me. And mm. as much of this uh, other things that I would have liked about that movie and didn't like about it, that typifies the entire thing. I could watch that and be satisfied. So I've been talking mostly about the effect that Superman has had on culture as I've seen it. What I would talk about is, I've mentioned it mostly as a bad thing, that Superman is sort of a way of people, of you know, of how America looks at itself and the bad things that happen in the Superman movies kind of reflect on the culture and stuff like that. That's also a good thing. And I, I actually think it's a really good thing because I've seen the effect, the aspirational effect that Superman has had on people around me. Now, I'd be a Time Lord light years before I'd be Superman, but, <laughs> but I can see people reaching for that thing like i said earlier he's a very humanist you know superhero he, he's a humanist ideal 
And because they, people look up to Superman, and because they see Superman as a hero, I see people reaching for that. And I think the net effect Superman has had on the world has overall been very positive. Because of Superman, the KKK isn't as powerful as it once was. You know, there's a lot of people who are firefighters who might not have been. And I think that's incredibly good. And one of the things that opened up my eyes to that, which is my personal high point, was an episode of Ask an Atheist called Superman is Greater Than Jesus. Superman mm. is a moral and heroic person who we know that doesn't exist and has no dark side, kill the unbelievers. It's all about taking care of people. It's all about people are good. It's that aspirational effect that Superman has had mm. on society that I think is really the best thing about him. It was hard for me to make a decision on this one because there's really two. As I said in the intro, when I'm in a really shitty mood and I feel like utter crap and it feels like life is unfair, I switch on Superman the movie on DVD and I love that movie to death. And the thing that I really love about that movie is just how earnest it is and it's just unashamed of being altruistic. That it's about a guy who, when he has power, doesn't see that as a means of getting something over on someone or benefiting himself or profiting. He says, I'm going to be a good guy. I'm going to make life better for everyone. And the rescue scene, and I love superhero rescue scenes, and every movie should have one, where he rescues Lois Lane from the helicopter on the roof of the Daily Planet <laughs> is one of my favorite things in any movie ever. Not just the scene where he transforms into the Superman costume in the rotating door <laughs> and the, the 70s pimp sees him and he just politely goes, excuse me, and <laughs> flies off to save the day. It's also the reaction of the crowd when he not only catches Lois Lane, but the helicopter comes down, everyone screams, and he just reaches out with one hand and grabs it and the crowd just goes fucking wild. And it's nice to see a crowd cheer not for the... In the world of reality TV where we want people to be mean to each other, we watch ponage videos and we value hurting other people or humiliating other people than excelling, that we can cheer for a guy who's good, that he's helping people and doesn't ask for anything in return. He's not looking for your worship. He's not looking for your paycheck. He's not looking for admiration. He just wants to let you know that when he shows up, it's going to be okay. And I'm going to do everything in my power not to just beat up the bad guy to make you feel safe. And mm. the idea of Superman as a protector. And the, the other one I had in mind was All-Star Superman, which encapsulates in 12 issues, all of the fun, weird, insane, but just pure optimistic things about this guy who wears a bright acrobat outfit and says, not because my parents were killed or not because this thing fell in my lap or this accident happened in a lab somewhere. I was born this way and I'm going to choose to be Superman. And mm. I'm going to do everything I can to help people, including people who are sick, people who are hurting. There's a wonderful scene in there where he overhears a woman basically talking to herself before she's about to throw herself off a building. And he shows up just before she does and just simply tells her, you're stronger than you think you are, mm. and stops her from wanting to jump off the building. And that's the Superman I want to see. Somebody who doesn't just punch something, but somebody who cares about people. And on that note, that's all the time we have for this panel of Radio vs. the Martians. I'm Mike Gillis. Joining me as always, Casey Doran. Thanks, Mike. 
And Sam Mulvey from Ask an Atheist. Thanks a bunch, man. And if people want to know where to find out more about you and Ask an Atheist, where do they go, Sam? Askanatheist.tv. And our good friend Paul Rue from Brisbane, Australia. Thank you. Absolute pleasure. And if people want to find out more about what you're up to, where do they go? MikeandPoll.com. That's the website for our little podcast about comics. All right. Thank you, folks. And we'll see you in two months. Radio vs. the Martians is produced by Mike Gillis and Casey Doran. Our audio engineer was Rich Lyons. Our editor was Mike Gillis. Our theme music was written and performed by Todd Maxfield Matsumoto. Find us online at RadioVersusTheMartians.com and send us your feedback at info at RadioVersusTheMartians.com. Changed. No, maybe, maybe it's just...